This is Lab Medicine Rounds, a curated podcast for physicians, laboratory professionals, and students. I'm your host, Justin Freuder, the Bowtie Bandit of Blood, a transfusion medicine pathologist at Mayo Clinic. COVID-19 is significantly impacting the practice of laboratory medicine in many ways. And I need to give a shout out here to Dr. Crix uh, Cogville, a pathologist from the Gunderson Health System, for recommending that we curate more content about how this pandemic is affecting uh, the laboratory medicine practice. So to that end, today we're rounding with Dr. Ethan Jacob, the Director of the Cellular Therapy Laboratory, as well as the Director of the Immunohematology Reference Laboratory in the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic. Dr. Jacob is one of the most thoughtful and deliberate pathologists that I have ever worked with. And since he leads two very different laboratories, I was thinking he would be a brilliant physician to kick off these deeper dives into how the pandemic is affecting the lab medicine practice. So thanks for joining us today, Dr. Jacob. You're welcome. Glad to be here. So why don't we kick things off and if we could kind of understand a little bit of this why. So why is it important to consider how we're staffing our laboratory during this pandemic? Sure. So, you know, with, with all labs and particularly the labs I serve with at Mayo, you know, we think about the needs of the patient and providing results or therapies uh, to our clinical colleagues so that they could care for these patients. And in the, the situation we are in now with COVID, we know that there's going to be a high infection rate in our different societies, and some uh, are as high as 80% or more. And so it's inevitable that members of the laboratories are going to become sick with COVID-19 or are going to be quarantined at some point. And when that happens, it's going to affect our staffing and our ability to go on with our normal daily activities. And so because of that, I think every lab needs to, to look at their uh, individual situations and decide what they're going to do to try and prevent you know, a single individual's infection from suddenly quarantining their entire lab or when they finally do um, have positives in the lab, how are they gonna to continue to uh, uh, help our patients? Oh, brilliant, so we're, we're really focused, I hear you, we're focused on uh, patient safety as we always are uh, in laboratory medicine, patient care, and you're really talking about continuity of the practice. You're still making sure that we can deliver uh, lab medicine, uh, care and practice to our patients. So what are the different models or what are some different ways people have been talking about um, running a lab to, to mitigate this risk of a lab going down? I, I think there are two main ones. I mean, the first thing you need to know at your individual institution is what your infection control team is using for their distance and time model for quarantine. So at our institution at this point, it's six feet and five minutes or less than five minutes. So if you're within six feet unprotected and are exposed for a cumulative five minutes, you're gonna be quarantined because it's thought that there's a high risk 
And by knowing that, then you could start looking at uh, different models. And so in, in my two labs, the things that came up initially were, can we separate people physically? So um, by space, uh, by distance, and then whether we could uh, separate people by uh, altering schedules, creating teams. And, and in some ways we've instituted both of those sorts of models when they came up. Uh, one of my labs, the human cell therapy lab, um, ironically, we were in the middle of a building phase. And so we had much of our teams separated across an entire floor. And so that allowed us to, to look at the available spaces, even though they were temporary spaces, and move uh, members of our team around so that they were physically separated. And so you wouldn't have that potential of, uh, of exposure within that uh, six feet. Uh, we went on and looked at that model to see if it was applicable to our immunohematology reference lab. And in that lab, it's a much smaller space. And uh, we have a number of people working side by side on the bench, you know, within that six foot cordon. And so we've been trying to see if we can move individuals around, reposition uh, material, reposition uh, equipment. But what we realized there was that really we were going to have to look at the second model, which was creating different schedules, creating different teams to some extent. And, and trying to separate people that way. And so uh, that particular lab is a 24 hour lab, seven days a week. And so what we had to do there, uh, my supervisors, as well as my uh, assistant medical director, Dr. Maggie DeGuardo spent an enormous amount of time changing schedules with the limited number of personnel that we have. It's a, it's a very lean lab to begin with. And so we went uh, to staffing models that used more 10-hour shifts and tried to make the overlap time much less than we traditionally had. And so by doing that, we were able to allow people to have longer shifts, be at work fewer days, but do a similar number of hours and then separate them uh, that way so that we didn't have uh, individuals exposed to everyone else in the lab like they might traditionally be as the schedules overlap, but they're much more uh, limited exposures. And by decreasing the number of individuals in the lab, uh, there's less likely to be physical overlap. So it was a combination in that lab, both changing schedules, having kind of a modified team approach, and then by decompressing the lab, allowing them to separate in the lab itself, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're highlighting that we've got uh, our models of splitting shifts or uh, spacing people out. And I, I like the fact uh, you're highlighting some of the challenges I think a lot of our labs have in that some of our labs are going to really struggle with that physical space because a lot of times uh, laboratories are, are more confined. And, and I liked how you highlighted that really shifted your decision towards looking at uh, running a different shift uh, with folks. And uh, I like how uh, you know, you're also talking about these challenges of space and some of the conversations that you're having uh, with infection control at the institution level. And, and so, you know, one thing we realized when you're splitting shifts, creating different teams where you're not gonna have the individuals 
uh, on your campus for 80 hours for that time period that we normally would, or 40 hours as it were, we realized we were going to have to be able to have some of these individuals work from home. With our management team, I think it was much more straightforward. They often have uh, computer access by VPN. They can do projects at home quite easily. In many ways, we're already doing that at times. Uh, with our technical staff, our bench techs, that becomes much more difficult. We were looking at projects that we've had you know, on the shelf for uh, months, if not longer, that just we never could get to with our standard daily activities. And now we're, we're looking at those again, trying to re revive them and see if we can actually have the techs that are at home during part of their shifts actually work on those and, and in some ways that might actually you know be quite an advantage for the lab for things that were sitting on uh, the back burner. I think you're just describing there a classic uh, changing uh, a challenge into an opportunity. It's something that I hear from a lot of artists that I pay attention to out there in the social media world as far as using this time productively. Uh, you're stuck at home, what can you do? And like you say, there's a lot of projects that are really interesting and valuable for the lab, but because of the demands of the clinical practice, there just hasn't been that time to get those completed. So I really like your changing that challenge in, into an opportunity. This idea of, of working from home that, that really kind of does that. I was wondering if when you were talking and looking at those different schedules and, and going to the different shifts, you, you mentioned that there was a lot of time that was invested in doing that. Do you have any tips for our listeners about lessons learned from that experience about how they can do that and learn from your experience? You know, the main thing for medical directors, it's not something that we can dictate onto the labs you really have to re rely on your supervisor, your assistant supervisor, and your management team. Understand what is best for the individual labs. When I came in thinking of my reference lab, I was really thinking that the key there would be physical separation because of the way that lab functions 24 hours a day. I wasn't sure that you know new shifts and teams would be enough for us. And, you know, they quickly pointed out issues we had with equipment, equipment that would have to be revalidated, uh, questions about where we would come up with the space, and the same with uh, the, our cellular therapy lab. And so I think the key is that, you know, we as directors give them the vision of what we want them to do and some possible suggestions, but that you really need to rely on the people that are on the ground there to, to come up with solutions that are gonna work for your individual spaces because I'm involved with three labs. Another one of them is a research lab, a translational lab. And it turns out that you know with those three labs, nothing in terms of the solutions looks exactly the same. There, there are little nuances because some of the labs were able to decompress into areas that we weren't previously using and others you know, really don't have that advantage. The other thing that's going to happen is, you know, over time around the country, many of the hospitals and clinics have seen a dramatic decrease in their volumes. And so as that decreases, you know, it gives us a chance to use those two team models where you have lower staffing, at least for now. 
And so, you know, you have to not only look at what your volumes are like currently, but what your volumes will be like in weeks to months. Again, you have to really make use of those folks that are, are doing the work day to day to help you with your solutions. I think that's brilliant. And I love that you made that point because this interprofessional collaboration is really a theme running through all of our uh, episodes of this podcast that we've done so far. And I think this just continues to highlight that. If we could follow that thread a little further, I'm curious about how your communication has been with the clinical practice. I know that um, you mentioned you actually have three labs that you oversee. I know especially the cellular therapy lab has many connections with the clinical practice, a lot of codependence there when we're talking about transplant and cell therapy. I was wondering, what's that communication been like uh, with the clinical practice? Sure. So for our cell therapy lab, uh, and you know, you know this because you're part of the, the transplant team, Justin, we have a very large number of meetings uh, with our clinical colleagues for our transplant program, particularly our, our blood and marrow transplant program. And so even during normal periods of time, I think I have on the order of four standing meetings a week with those clinical colleagues. And so because of that, and it's not just me, but you know, my management team is uh, represented there as well. We have constant communications about you know, what our transplant volumes are going to be over the next days, weeks, and months. And so it's been quite a while that we've been talking about how COVID-19 was going to affect that practice. And we've been having discussions uh, with the clinical uh, teams about, you know, would our transplant volumes go down and in which areas, would it affect our collections or infusions more and how that would play off one another. And so because of that, we've been in almost real time uh, been able to look at how that was going to affect our volumes and use that information to start planning on how we would change things in the lab. So it's been it seems like over a month or two now where the National Marrow Donor Program made uh, some changes to their policies on how transplants were going to be done. So initially for the bone marrows, for instance, that were being collected at these foreign sites, they would typically come to us fresh and we would infuse them. But because of COVID-19 and issues with couriers traveling across international boundaries, uh, issues with donors potentially becoming sick, they changed that practice and asked us to freeze down all of our products. That caused you know, an enormous change in our lab just because of the needing the trained people to do those freezes. We were able to accommodate that because we already had SOPs in place to allow that and we had the staffing to allow that, but there were many labs around the country that didn't typically do that and didn't have the teams available to do that. And so that was kind of the initial shock to the system in the cell therapy world. But, you know, when we saw that coming, then we immediately were able to shift the conversation and ask how it was going to affect our day-to-day practice with our standard transplants in-house. And so that was pretty gratifying that there was good communication there that it had been established over years uh, with that group. In the research lab that's run by uh, Al Dietz that I'm the associate medical director with, 
they have really good communications with the individual clinical PIs on their trials. And so, again, they were having a lot of direct communication with those teams, which trials could keep going, which trials had to be shut down, what the timeframes were there. With our uh, reference lab, that lab serves all of the clinic's patients because doing the antibody workups is really essential just to get standard red blood cells to patients that need them for anemia, for bleeds, et cetera. Since we were dealing with so many departments, so many clinicians around uh, the clinic, that communication came to us through our divisional departmental leadership all the way up through the transfusion medicine uh, subcommittee that looks at uh, transfusion and blood management issues across the clinic, whether it's medical, surgical, et cetera. In that situation, we couldn't have a lot of direct communication. There were just too many physicians and surgeons involved. And so we really had to hear that coming from my division chair, Dr. Stubbs, in terms of, okay, it looks like elective surgeries are going to decrease now for, for instance, orthopedics, except for trauma cases. Uh, and then, you know, with the cardiovascular surgery, how could that be affected? And now as we get, you know, the initial idea of what's happening, you know, what surgeries can be brought back online and how is that going to affect our practice? And that's happening not only in our reference lab, but across transfusion medicine. Um, you know, you see that in the donor center with uh, the work that you've done to try and make sure that we still have all of the donors we need coming in to help uh, give us those blood products that we need for our patients. It was you know, very different for each lab from the direct communication we had with our, our cell therapy colleagues to that more indirect communication from uh, the infrastructure, as it were. Yeah, it's brilliant. I, I think, uh, you know, there's lots of gems that you've uh, laid out there for our listeners. And it really kind of uh, a big part of this is keeping uh, humble and uh, this interprofessional collaboration, whether it's working with your supervisors for staffing, communicating with clinical colleagues for um, what they're expecting as far as volumes and, and maintaining those lines of communication for how things are going to change. With that, is there anything that you want to add that we haven't uh, touched about? Just remember that even in individual labs, the solution is going to be different for different team members. So your management uh, team is going to be able to do one thing, perhaps work from home, but your bench techs, that might not be possible. And then that's where some of the other solutions, that physical separation, the scheduling changes, the team approach come into play. Brilliant. Dr. Jacob, transforming uh, challenges into opportunities. We've been rounding with Dr. Jacob about how COVID-19 is influencing how he is staffing his laboratories. Thank you for taking the time to discuss this trending topic with us. Thank you for joining us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions via email. Please direct any suggestions to mcleducation at mayo.edu and reference this podcast. If you've enjoyed Lab Medicine Rounds podcast, please subscribe. Until our next rounds together, we encourage you to continue to connect lab medicine and the clinical practice through insightful conversations. Music